All right. Welcome back to the Ohio. And I'm here with um, How Things Work, the Ohio State House co-founder, Rachel Coyle. Rachel, how's it going this week? It's busy as usual. How about you? Good. You, you know, it's funny. There's not, you know, we're recording this Thursday night. And there hasn't been that, oh, my goodness, big headline this week. And we were like, boy, what do we talk about? But it seems like there's always these underlying issues that, you know, we're talking about that, you know, have become a big thing. I, I know Gannett, Ohio, uh, we did a story the other day. One of the things they're discussing is medical marijuana. Obviously, that's a controversial issue among people. And they're talking about how they should identify what's okay and what's not. And, you know, we're looking at things like autism and other stuff like that. Uh, what have you heard about what's happening with that? Yes. So Ohio has a very restrictive list of conditions that qualify for our medical marijuana program. The program is still fairly new. I believe it was 2016 when they passed it. And they have been, there have been attempts to add conditions, uh, especially mental health conditions, uh, but also several other medical conditions as well to the list of reasons why it would be acceptable yet medical marijuana in Ohio. And one of the conditions that has the most support is autism uh, for folks, specifically sometimes younger children even, uh, who are on the autism spectrum to use medical marijuana uh, for, for their condition to help improve their, their everyday lives. And the problem is that the U.S. government still classifies medical mar or marijuana as a schedule one substance. So same level as heroin, same level as drugs that are incredibly addictive and have no medical use or benefits. So it's really hard to study marijuana. Um, it's really hard to use these research to get this research that would prove uh, that there's actually medical benefits, even though we know from other countries, uh, from states that are doing this anyway, we know there are benefits, but it's hard to get enough data to prove it because it's still classified in such a way. Is there a problem, and you've said this, but is there a problem with like a deeper education of what's going on with this? And what, what I mean by that is, I'll be honest with you, like my daughter, she's eight, she has autism. And, you know, somebody approached her and said, well, not approached us, not her individually. Hey, that'd be kind of weird. But somebody approached us and said, hey, maybe you can help her by giving her medical marijuana. And, you know, I'm a journalist. I read up on this stuff. But my immediate thought was, oh, man, my daughter's going to be smoking a blunt. We can't have an eight-year-old do that. That's really bad. And obviously, <laughs> medical marijuana is used differently. It's taken differently and everything else. So what's the best way of maybe educating people? Because even me, who's someone who you think I would know better, it, it's hard to kind of understand sometimes and, and understand what exactly it means. I mean, is that something that the drug industry, like the medical industry, needs to invest more time in? Like, I'm trying to figure out how to make that make more sense to the general public, and maybe that'll help influence legislators to make changes, too. Absolutely. When you think of marijuana, you're right. You think of a blunt, uh, but yeah. medical marijuana, you know, a lot of it's a lot of the forms that it's used and prescribed in, they actually take out the part of the, the drug that has the, you know, the, the part that people do it recreationally for. Um, so it actually wouldn't have any of those side effects. Um, and that you're right, that will require education, but 
part of the problem again is because it's still it's still illegal at the federal level it's still considered a schedule 1 substance so up there with the drug the illegal drugs that are being sell, sold on the streets it's hard to get medical professionals who are comfortable with going out publicly and doing those education campaigns to teach folks about medical marijuana and how it's used in a in a medical sense um, for these different conditions because it's risky you are asking medical professionals to go out and talk publicly about the benefits of something that's technically a federal crime. So it's really created a lot of issues uh, with states going ahead and passing these, these legalization laws while the federal government is still behind on this issue. Okay. And, and the other thing that's interesting is I remember the first day where you could buy medical marijuana in Ohio. And a lot of excitement, a lot of people were there. One of the things that kind of struck us as reporters and some of our readers was, man, it costs more. And mm -hmm. part of it probably was there was a, a less supply and everything. Uh, do you know of anything that's being done to kind of help that cost? Because really, it, it was kind of tough for people to let alone afford. I mean, let alone see if, it, if it's beneficial or not. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's happening in the legislature or has anything been done on that yet. Yes, there's a couple different bills at least being discussed in the state house. One is that bill that would legalize or that would allow uh, autism to be one of the conditions where you could get medical right. marijuana. But there's more bills being discussed that are more broader reaching that would kind of overhaul the whole system. Uh, bipartisan bills that uh, I believe are even being led by Republicans that would help lower the costs. They would help change who is overseeing the system, who is you know, creating the product, trying to help deregulate it a little bit so that it's less complicated and that will hopefully bring down the costs. There are a lot of, you know, it's a big deal that we passed medical marijuana at all. I remember the process back in 2015. Uh, they went on a long listening tour and heard from citizens, but there was still a lot of fear around the program. So they, I think in order to comfort some folks in the legislature, they made it a really burdensome system in a lot of ways. And now they're trying to kind of fix some of those issues that they had from the original law and hopefully cost will be part of that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would be helpful. And I'm kind of wondering too, I know that there was, I think it was because of COVID, there was kind of a limit on how many could open. Um, mm -hmm. Not that there was problems. It's just, you know, COVID turned everything up for a loop. I mean, we're kind of rethinking the way we're doing everything. I'm wondering if when more of those places can open, the price may go down just of a simple supply versus demand. I mean, if there's something in demand, you can't find it, you're probably going to be paying more than if there's more of that stuff available and, you know, the demand isn't quite as high. I mean, could that help, you think? Yes, it'll also help with access. Uh, one of the legislators who is thinking of doing this overhaul bill said that one of the major complaints he gets beyond the cost is that folks still have to drive several yeah. hours across the state to get uh, the, pro the product, the prescription that their doctor recommends for them. And so hopefully if we can expand who's able to provide uh, this medicine that will, that will help with cost, like you said, supply and demand, it'll also help with access and ease of patients actually being able to get to what their doctor recommends for them. Right. I think, you know, like we talked about before, it's education, you know, mm -hmm. and obviously medical marijuana is not going to solve every issue in the world. It's not like saying, hey, 
avoid medicine, just use medical marijuana, you're fine. But there are things that it does help. There are things that, you know, if you educate yourself and maybe that's something that will help you more than what you're taking now. So, yeah, I, I think it could be helpful. I, I think there's a lot of maybe not misinformation, but just kind of misconception because, you know, we're looking at something that 10 years ago you're, you're arrested for where now it's different. And again, not that we were being arrested for medical marijuana, but it was just, you know, the rules have changed, I guess, in the last 10 years. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what um, ends up developing there. Um, what do you see maybe in the next week coming up? Is there anything scheduled or, or something that you think might become a bigger topic as next week rolls around? Well, the House is coming back uh, here shortly. They were on a little bit of a spring break for a few days there. Um, and that is the budget is going to get really intense here soon. Uh, there's going to be the House is going to introduce a new version of the budget bill, um, a substitute bill. And so we can expect a lot of the advocacy organizations to get really fired up about different things that are or are not in this new version of the budget. So I'm looking forward to that here in the next week or two. I got a random question I need to ask. It's state politics related. We've said a lot in our show about John Houston and the tweet that he sent out about the Wuhan virus is at best misguided. I, I mean, I think you could say, and probably not a moment, maybe, um, you know, the Lieutenant Governor would admit that as well, too. I'm kind of wondering, I know our focus here is on state politics. Do you, is anybody thinking in their back of their mind? that because he's addressing those issues that maybe he's kind of looking past his time as Lieutenant Governor. I, maybe I'm off base here, but I'm kind of sitting here thinking it's an odd thing to comment on. And granted here in Ohio, we're dealing with COVID-19. It's taking up a lot of our time, but you know, just suggesting where it may have come from. It kind of makes me think, is he maybe angling for something else down the road? Because usually when you make tweets like that, that isn't related to what you're doing, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's a sentency or whatever else. I mean, has that made anybody think? I mean, I mean besides the, hey, was it a great tweet or not, which I think we all commit was kind of strange. I mean, it's kind of making me think, is he looking at sentency? Is he looking at something down the road? I, 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 to me, that was another strange part of this whole saga. It's certainly possible. I hope not. I don't like to think that people who are looking at running for higher office feel the need to tweet things that are misguided at, at best. Um, yeah, and right. it's ho I'm hopeful that that's not what was happening, that maybe it was just a, a tweet that was out there and now they feel a need to defend it. Uh, but it's anything is possible. Yeah. It, it was just funny because like, you know, again, we're taping this Thursday, who knows what will happen by the time we listen to it. But like today in the press conference, you kind of, we talk about doubling down. He kind of tripled down <laughs> his comments. And yep. again, yes, we could sit here and talk for the next four hours on on how it, it can inadvertently cause people harm. Even if his thought was in the, and I'm doing quotes as it says, even if he had good intentions the way he did it, when you make comments like that, words matter. And you know it can pose harm to groups of people, which makes it troubling. I, I, I just kind of looked at it and I'm saying, it's a strange thing to come out and talk about, however he talked about it. And, you know, we looked this week at um, some changes. You know, Amy Atkins not running for U.S. Senate, which – and then you kind of think of you've got two relatively inexperienced people on the Republican side, like Jane Timken and – 
uh, Josh Mandel, and you're kind of like, you, you kind of scratch your head when you see things like happen with everything else happening. So who yeah. knows? It'll be and different. It is, it is damaging. You know, there we've seen an increase in hate against Asian American folks in Ohio and nationwide. Uh, there are legislators in the House and the Senate introducing bills to create uh, AAPI commissions. So commissions that would help to kind of address this, this increased prejudice that we're seeing in the state. And then you've got elected officials, you know, perpetuating the stereotypes. And that is, uh, it's problematic. It really is. So I, I'm surprised that he doubled down, but here we are. Yeah. And I, yeah. And that's definitely where things can go haywire with, with things like that. I just, yeah. Well, again, I, I bring that up kind of off the wall just to say I'm always looking at the future of elected officials. And, you know, the throwaway comment I'll just leave at the end is if you're holding a government responsible, this thing's happened for a year. Think back to 9 11. You know, we had that attack. It took one day to point out who we thought was the blame, and it took one day to launch an attack. It's been a year, you know, and that doesn't mean you can't hold the government responsible, but it's strange to kind of debate that a year after something happened. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird time. <laughs> as always. Well, Rachel, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks as always uh, for talking to us here at the Ohioan. And again, keep uh, tuned for segments every day and uh, check our Hope Interrupted podcast um, as they talk about how to communicate cross-culturally and communicate when you don't agree with someone politically. Uh, it's something we do every day and honestly, whatever we say can be controversial and it gives good help for uh, advice for how to help doing that. All right, Rachel, thanks for your time. Have a great day and thanks for checking out the Ohioan. Thank you.